This recording documents a community conversation that we held at The Gap on the 7th of October 2022, which brought together young people, artists, educators, organisers and other members of the local community to reflect on some of the learnings and questions that emerged out of the Otherwise project. Funded by Arts Council England and taking place between April and September 2022, the Otherwise project was a series of creative and participatory explorations with young people that explored, challenged and reimagined the old ideas that shape contemporary education. We wanted to record this conversation so that the important issues and inspiring ideas raised, particularly those by the young people themselves, could be shared more widely beyond the live event itself. We hope that you enjoy listening and that it will inspire you to continue the conversation within your own communities. The Otherwise Project, for people who don't know, is a, is a series of explorations, activities that sort of explore and critique old ideas around mainstream institutional education and asks young people particularly, what do you need to survive and thrive in the world today? Uh, and we sort of had three sort of broad programs that, that, that investigated those things. Firstly was the, the summer school. So members of our culture collective, three hands up in the air. Oh yeah. Yeah, a lot of, lot of nervous hands going in the air there. Um, so Culture Collective have been working um, with, with Ella and myself over this past year, sort of exploring their relationships to school. We found out most people actually really don't like school. I mean, isn't that obvious anyway? Um, and then they designed um, a curriculum for living today and, and thriving in the future. And hopefully you've had a chance to sort of see some of the outcomes um, in the gallery, and Elle's going to sort of have a conversation with you all about that as well. Uh, the second part was a, a production of a specially commissioned play that me and Beth wrote together, uh, mentored by our, one of our associate artists, Chris Cooper, looking very cool in the leather jacket in the back. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, we, we wrote this play about school exclusion, and we've got a couple of the young people who um, who were in it, so Amira and Mohammed are, are here today from the Youth Theatre, uh, and that was all about exclusion, and we're sort of going to explore exclusion um, later in the day today. And thirdly, we had uh, three resident artists, so Hassan, who, you, who some of you may know, who's looking, yep, hello, Hassan. <laughs> Thank you. Robbie and Rumbi um, all sort of took, yeah, sorry, I know that people are eating, I know that, sorry. Um, they sort of worked with us on the different segments of the project, but and also broadly explored with us the different themes and critiques of education over this past over this past sort of year. And they have produced three really incredible artworks that hopefully you've had a chance to sort of see inside. And they can they'll be here for a little while actually um, for the next couple of months. So if you didn't get a chance to properly um, to see the work, there'll be plenty of opportunity to do that. Um, so I am going to hand over to Ella now um, for the first part, yeah? Yeah, cool. yeah so firstly, we are going to, I'm just going to introduce um, the Otherwise Summer School that I had the pleasure of working with, um, with Culture Collective, um, and they are um, the GAPS Youth Forum. We've, they've been, it's been about a year now since it existed. Um, do chat to them if you want to find out more about it. 
and there's some zines over there. Um, but this um, project was devised uh, with them and for them. And what we did was, um, the way in which we began it was, it was about May time, just when most of them were finishing the exam season that everyone, I'm sure, will, is glad that it's over because it was super stressful. Um, and we were having, we began having conversations about their experiences of school um, and particularly answering these questions that are up here. So thinking, what if we designed our own education? How could schooling be more caring, creative and relevant to our lives? What must we learn to survive and thrive in today's world? And what tools do we need to shape the future for the better? And out of those conversations, they designed um, an incredible program of different activities that, again, you will have seen that documented some, in some places in the gallery and on this uh, film as well. All things from looking at how do we learn from each other through storytelling, through sharing our culture, different practical skills for survival, how to connect with nature. There's like... There's so much content there, and it was a really amazing program that happened for two weeks um, in August this year. One of the things that we did was after every session, we invited everyone involved, so not just young people, but you know us and the other, if there were other adults who were delivering stuff, to write a question that went on the Wonder Wall as a way to reflect on what had been learned, what might have come up. So it might be a question that related to something we'd done that day, or it might just be something that you've always wondered. There were some really incredible questions that came up. Um, but we were really struck by, on the first day, one of the young uh, attendees who was really finding it hard to think of a question. And I said to him, well, why don't you form that into a question and put it up, up there? So the question that he wrote was, why am I finding it so hard to think of a question? And we said, you know, this is, this is a really legitimate and this is a really interesting thing to ask. Why am I thinking so hard for a question? Does anyone have any responses to that? What does it make you think? Why might somebody ask this? Hello. <laughs> yeah. So I think because um, maybe because we try to get the right question, like we are really self-conscious. And the way that um, society shapes us is to think like, like, in my questions, is a smart one. Am I saying the right thing? So that's why it is so hard to make a perfect question. Um, maybe because like the way education and society has taught us is that we're not supposed to question things. We're supposed to be like seen and not heard. And we're just supposed to take in what other people are telling us and not think for ourselves in a way. I think sometimes, sometimes you feel like you're going to be told that like that's a stupid question you've asked, or that's a stupid question you've asked, or like you'll feel silly for asking it, so you don't ask the question because you think, oh, like, I really want to know this, but I'm scared that I'm going to be laughed at or told, like, oh, that's a stupid thing to ask. It's so obvious, but you need to obviously ask the questions to, yeah, no. Nah, so that's what I think. Cool. I'm going to invite Farah to come up then. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 
We all go through the education system from when we're five all the way till we're 18, minimum. That's 13 years. Out of those 13 years, how many of us actually enjoyed the overall educational experience? And if we did enjoy it, was, this, was it the subjects themselves or the people that we spent them with? The education system is outdated and the curriculum is too narrow. Teachers encourage us to go with the subjects that we are good at rather than subjects we enjoy. But for many of us, we wouldn't have the second choice anyway because the subjects at school just aren't enjoyable. So many people I know had never truly looked forward to a lesson or looked forward to the homework or enjoyed the subject unless their classmates or their teacher made it in interesting and enjoyable. Otherwise, every lesson felt robotic and boring. Success was defined by our grades rather than who we were to, as people, which is so damaging to children and teenagers. The main reason for us not enjoying school was that we weren't allowed to ask important questions or delve deeper into a subject if it meant veering away from the exam spec. There was nothing unique about school and we weren't given the opportunity to make it unique either. Everyone was taught the exact same thing under the exact same structure every single day. We were taught to prioritize having the right answer 24 seven rather than enjoying the process of asking questions and appreciating the process of making mistakes. We stopped thinking for ourselves and we were too occupied with always getting the right answer. I remember in my supposed discussion-based subject, RE, we were meant to be having discussions, but we never did. It was very, very rare. And let's say if we did get to have a discussion, it was so brief that we would never get to the deeper and important side of the debate. It was always surface level, enough to spark a conversation, but not enough for critical debate. Whenever I'd ask the teacher for more time to debate, he'd say, we don't have enough time, there's too much of the exam spec left to go through. Or if the rare occasion came up where the conversation did go deeper, the teacher would stop it purposefully to prevent arguments. So how can we ever get a broader perspective on life if we aren't given the chance? As for life lessons, only 20 minutes a week was dedicated to that in PSHE, which is nothing if you look at it on a wider level. Mistakes in school were made equivalent to failure, especially in terms of grades. The higher the grade, the more valuable you were to the school. So how many of you felt like a failure when you'd receive a test score and it was lower than you expected? Yeah, I, that's what I thought. <laughs> Even if you had worked really, really hard for it. That's what the education system does today to people. It takes effect on our self-esteem, our confidence and our general mental health. Children aren't meant to sit for hours and hours, five days a week, listening and copying and regurgitating information that we don't mostly even need, to be honest. That's why we held the summer school. It was our own interpretation of what we want today's schools to be like. Interactive, engaging, useful things we will actually use in our day-to-day -day life. Instead of listening to someone talk for hours and hours, we got to take part in the education actively and ask deeper questions. We allowed room for mistakes and open discussions, no judgment, a relaxed atmosphere where we can really enjoy the things we were learning about. A lot of our activities are focused on creativity because schools hugely undermine the importance of art. The arts are underfunded and we aren't given the freedom to express ourselves through it, even in art class. We're usually given standardized tasks to complete and even our artwork is graded turning it into something academic once again, instead of letting it be an enriching activity. We want school to be more about more than just getting the grades. And I think our summer school gives us a glimpse into what that would look like.
Thanks, Farah. When we all first heard that in there, do you remember? It was like, wow. <laughs> what, does, what questions does what Farah's just uh, shared with us, what questions does that raise for you all? It doesn't massively give me lots of questions, but I, a lot of it resonates. You know, I remember at school feeling that way a lot. But um, listening to the results-based thing, I'd, maybe I never thought of it in that way, but it's so true with everything. It's an art. You know, I did art, and they, were, it's very, they only really cared if it was in a certain frame. The enriching, oh, enriching tasks. You've blown my mind. <laughs> Is there anyone who... Um because obviously what you've written, it's, it's not just your opinion. It was, it was um, sort of formulated from the discussions you had with other young people that are part of the group. Is there anyone who... Um, um, this is your first time engaging in the Otherwise project in this way. Are there any questions that come up for you or questions you have for the young people? Um, so we all had an open discussion before the entire summer school to decide and choose what we wanted to lead, which event we wanted to lead individually. So one person wanted to do self-defense, um, even Hafsa. Um, Chi wanted to do crocheting to like enrich people's creativity. Uh, Rumbi wanted to do uh, comic making. We did first aid. Mine was home remedies. So it was bits and bobs from all aspects of life to make things to make school something just not just academic, but to go beyond that and to make it a much more holistic experience. It seemed from when we did the reflections with everyone that one of the things that you all most got from it was the opportunity to lead your own sessions as well. So, you know, it wasn't teachers, experts coming in. We did get certain artists and professionals who've practiced those topics come in and share stuff, but also you were given the opportunity to share your skills and knowledge with your peers and get and think about how, how you would structure other people's learning. Yeah, that was basically what we did. And um, we did get some other professionals to come in, but the majority of it was led by the Culture Collective. And I guess it gave us a sense of leadership as well and in schools we're not really given that opportunity it's usually the teachers that take charge and of course they know what they're doing they know what they're talking about but it is nice to give other people other young people the chance to lead events themselves and try and grow into someone in the future that can lead events as well and I don't know it's just like it's nice to be able to have that sense of pride in yourself knowing that I was able to help someone else or I was able to you know, in, expand on someone else's knowledge on my culture or someone else's culture. So, yeah. Anyone else have anything that they would like to say? Yeah. Um, no, just firstly, just thank you. That was amazing. Um, uh, I'm a bit older, as you can see by my hair. Like, but yeah, lack of hair. But so, so much resonated with me in terms of the things you were talking about and the. Um, I guess the the lack of importance that is is uh, a lot of schools give to the arts, and and I guess just out of interest, I was just wondering if if any of you had any thoughts as to why you think it is the case, and and w w like what what do you think has caused us to be in this situation where the arts are are seen as almost lesser? Just just out of interest, and maybe it's not a question for today. That can be, you know a wider discussion, but it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts and why you think it's it's come to this place. 
Hello. Um, so it reminds me of a speech I did in year seven about um, why the art, why art and music is like really undefended. Like I feel very, I think I'm very privileged to have like, I think I had like an, um, an hour of like art, music. What's the other subject? Um, a drama um, and like some other like DT and stuff like every week. So I guess I was um, very like, yeah. But I'm in year 10 now. So like obviously I had to drop certain subjects and it's like kind of sad that I'm not able to like do those subjects because uh, I mean, I personally used to like those like subjects like unwind because like you know all the other subjects are like formula like very like bland and formulaic and you know you need to like remember a lot of stuff. But for art, it's like for art and music, it's more like you know free flowing and like you can do what you want. Well, not exactly, but you know, uh, and yeah. Um, so I guess it is it is very sad that like I don't have those options anymore. And like it's not that I wanted to pick them because like I was kind of bad at them, but you know it was still um, it was still very relaxing and you know it was just fun in general. So yeah. I think that's all I have to say. Thanks. Yeah, I think uh, going back to your question, I think the reason it's underfunded is because, like, you see all these people going to like grammar schools in Oxford, and it's like they want to keep the one percent in the one percent. Like, we live in a capitalistic society, and it's the people who want to express like music, art. It's seen as a waste of time in a world where everything's dominated by business and numbers and even just like doing a painting or writing something in the world we operate in. It's like you got to earn money, you got business and all that stuff. So I think unless there's some kind of change where people could get money off of the arts like they do with business, I don't think there would be much of... Uh, like funding because they fund what gets the money at the end of the day like not meaning to be negative but <laughs> that's my thoughts on it I think it's really interesting how even though it's underfunded whenever we go through great times of strife or pain or suffering we turn to art like we watch our favorite films, we read our favorite books, we look at our favorite art pieces we read, right? Um, and yet at the same time during school, you're told if you are bad at this, why would you continue it, right? So for me, I work as an artist, but art was my worst subject in school. And even though I heard that you're bad at this and I got very bad grades in art, I was like, I don't care. I like it and I enjoy it. And that wasn't without a lot of pushing to be like, stop doing this, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. And I think it takes a lot of resilience to work against those forces, but also the people that are supposed to help you grow as a person in this world are those forces telling you, don't do the things that you love. Do the things that will get you money. But in this day and age, nothing really gets you money anymore. Yeah. Right, All those stable jobs of being a teacher, being a nurse, being a doctor, they don't get you money and they make you mentally like worse a lot of the times because they don't have the support, you know? And I wonder whether we're pushed to do these things um, and these other certain subjects are funded, um, whether it's because it's easier to fit everyone into a box rather than to allow them to be who they want to be. It's easier to tell people, you can only do this if you're good at it, if it makes you money, and not if you like it. It doesn't matter if it's bad. There is no bad art if you enjoy it. 
but what world would we be creating if we focus our lives on joy? Not very profitable, because people will be spending their time making music, making art, enjoying their lives instead of funding capitalism and struggling and suffering every single day. They want us to suffer, so they don't want us to create. Because by creating, we seek joy. We express our suffering. We connect to other people and we build communities. And communities break down these systems. They don't want communities. They want individuals. So, yeah. Well said. Um, hi. I just want to say, I feel like everybody's been on a bit of a journey and awareness, and I just want to congratulate the staff at GAP and the volunteers at GAP, because I think you've, you've taken people on a journey, and the artists have done this as well. So I just want to say, well done. I think, I'm really impressed with the conversations that are happening with the young people here today, and it feels like they're on a journey, and it's fantastic. Uh, that's all I want to say. <laughs> Thanks, Mahini. And we've been on a journey as well and learned so much. Um, yeah. So I'm going to pass on to Aaron. As I said, obviously, these conversations will emerge from um, after this prompt as well. Um, but thank you all for your contributions. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I feel like an entertainer. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've been exploring the summer school um, in... in in, in that previous conversation. And the, the part of the Otherwise project that I was particularly interested in and leading on was um, the youth theatre programme, which focused and explored the, the idea of, of exclusions. I'm not going to talk for too long about why we explored that in the first place, because if you want to know that information and the, the story of how, why, why and how we became interested in that subject, then the... the we have, a, we have the podcast, actually, it's where, the, um, where you'll be able to listen to the whole play. And in the introduction of that, I talk for a couple of minutes about um, why and how we came to explore exclusion. So for that sort of stuff, feel free to, to listen to that. And I'll, sh I'll share the links with you at the end of this. Um, but firstly, I just, I just wanted to ask a really simple question. Well, it seems simple from the outset. Um, what is exclusion? It's being made to feel like an outsider. You might not be an outsider, but you're made to feel one. Who, who, who's doing that? Who's doing the making of the feeling? So there's lots of things there. It's, it's individuals, it's people, it's groups, it's cultures. <laughs> Sounds like it's, it's, it's part of our culture to exclude people. It's to, to um, the people who say you are included often do the excluding, right? I think I, I, think I hear a lot of like, hmm. People nodding their head. People understand that, right? Yeah, it's, it's a common thing, right? And actually, it kind of relates to what Far when, when Farah said her speech, when, when Ella asked what are the questions that were raised, and you said, I, I agree. And I, I, I found myself thinking, absolutely, isn't it so obvious? All that Farah said was just felt so obvious. It takes somebody to say it sometimes. And then when the problems are so obvious, it, it makes you think, well, why aren't the solutions obvious, you know? Um, and it's because they get us asking the wrong questions all the time to misdirect us. Why does it happen? You look different. Okay, yeah, so exclusion might happen because you look different. Yeah, so fear of the unknown, fear of difference. People exclude others because you want to feel included. 
Aisha says it's about maintaining power in the space. So now you're, not, you're actually saying it also happens in a particular place. So what is that space? Schools, in homes, yeah? So yeah, now we're talking, this is, now we're talking the step before. There is a pathway to exclusion sometimes. I think we all have seen somebody, particularly young people or other, or other types of people, you can see the path that has been made for them by culture, by society, by other individuals, by people in authority. We've all been at school and there was the naughty kid. And of course, he's, of course they get excluded because that's the path that happens, isn't it? Yeah? Um, access, yeah? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that particularly was, was shown up in, during the pandemic when everything moved online and you know, just assumed that, of course, every kid's got a computer at home with internet and their parents aren't doing this, that and the other and got other kids to care for and, and all the rest of it, right? Absolutely. Sometimes you don't realize that you're doing, that, that you know, um, exclusion is happening because your, your abilities or differences aren't present, right? And also, like, it's built into our systems and our culture, isn't it? Yeah, to not have access for certain things. I always think about glasses. I don't wear glasses, but I always think just, we, we've managed to cure that access point. Um, and it's so natural sometimes for, for people to wear glasses, but imagine if that was the same for deafness, you know? Um, and it was just built into our spaces and in our communities. Uh, so that was sort of the, the be beginning of thinking about um, exclusion and, th and trying to place it where it happens in school, right? Um, but the central question that guided us through, through the um, youth theatre programme was that, was what is exclusion, but also sort of, we've, and we've alluded to it a little bit, um, is why do we exclude people and then expect them to be part of society? So it's that second bit that we're also really, really interested in. Why, if you have been excluded, want to return to a site that has shunned you, that has hurt you, that has made you feel like an outsider? Um, why should that be expected of you? Has anybody got anything to say about that? Um, I think uh, it's sort of answer question, kind of not, but... I think of diversity and inclusion in terms of businesses and how the main purpose of that is to uh, aid in inclusion, but it does the exact opposite. So you have companies that wonder why they not have as much diversity within their jobs and they're like, no one is applying for these jobs, so we're just going to stop. But then you see within those businesses who is where, right? Up at the top, it looks very much the same and then you get further and further down and you get more diversity. So you get to the marketing, you get to the assistants, you get to much lower paying job roles and that's where their diversity is. So when someone of color gets hired within those businesses and then they don't feel like they belong because they look around and they don't belong and then it's on them to be like, why are you not joining in to the culture of this business? Why are you not joking around with everyone here? For them, they are the person of color. They can't be included because of the ecosystem that's already been made. But the blame is not put on the ecosystem. It's not put on the people that made those foundation. It put onto that person to be like, why have you got an attitude? And I find that 
so interesting because they still have to navigate the world to keep that job. They have to put on this mask of inclusion in order to stay getting paid instead of being able to be themselves because being themselves would get them fired. Being themselves would be a visual act of exclusion, but you can't act like you're being excluded. So they leave, they quit, and then the jobs say, no one wants to get these jobs. These people don't want to be hired here, so we're going to stop trying to include them. But you never did try in the first place. So. Thanks, yeah, I think, yeah. Cor corporate inclusive, inclusivity and the diversity corporate world is, yeah, um, is a neoliberal agenda, for sure. Uh, so, but I think I, I want to sort of draw it towards schools. Uh, school exclusions are a, I, I, I think, more in the mainstream news than ever before. I think people um, might know about some really high case profile stories like Child Q. Let me just tell you that in 2017, this was some stats that I found the other day, yeah? In 2017, uh, on average, 40 children were excluded every day from school. That's how shocking it is. Inanimate objects are falling over. Seriously, though, 40 kids, 40 kids a day. And that is not, um, that doesn't even include off-rolling. I don't know if people know what off-rolling is. So when I say exclusion, yeah, um, people have particular, what, what I found doing this program is that people have particular things in, in mind, right? And Beth, you can speak to this as well, right? Um, because we both sort of researched and explored exclusion together. Um, so exclusion, I think people think of as one thing, which is being... Um, permanently excluded from a school. Actually, exclusion is a whole host of things, right? Which includes um, suspensions and off-rolling, which is a technically legal thing, but deeply, deeply frowned upon, um, which is where schools pressurize parents to, to take kids off the register, and they, they make what's called managed moves. So then the school then goes, uh, takes the kid often to a PRU. A PRU is a pupil referral unit. Um, in which the kid has a last attempt to 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 achieve to achieve their grades, right? And this thing is also called the Prue to Prison Pipeline, uh, and it's a really well documented thing where children who get on to get excluded, then are usually set on a path, which puts them into prison, and that's not because they're bad kids, not at all, not at all. It's because our, our systems and our schools and our culture isn't making time to understand them. Um, so, Chris, did you, did you have something that you wanted to share? Um, I was thinking it all depends on what we mean by the we, I suppose. Uh, because I would argue that it's not we. It connects to the whole question about the summer school and the, um, the curriculum for living that you've been discussing earlier and the arts, because I agree with everything that everyone said about, about the val how arts is and isn't valued in general, but actually I think we missed the whole point, which is, in one sense, which is that the whole system's predicated on exclusion. That's the whole point. So the school system is only a reflection of the class society that we live in, 
and it is structured in order to exclude the majority. They're the same people who invent the term of inclusivity. They're the ones who can define who is excluded and included. So I suppose if you think about the arts, at Eton, for example, they've got three full-time theatres, and they do 21 productions a year. And it's a training ground for the political class, for the next generation of leaders. So it's not would be wrong if we thought they don't value it. Oh, they do. But that's what Rumby's saying. It's because they recognise that others need to be excluded from it. So the whole of the education system is predicated right back to the 1871 Reform Act, where they decided how many children would be able to read and write and how many wouldn't. And it's all about structuring society in order to um, protect the interests of those who control it. So I think the whole point of exclusion and why it's become the, um, the malignant presence it has through things like off-rolling is that it's structurally built into the system. And if you are working class, you are built into a percentage expectation of exclusion. If you're of colour and working class, the percentage is higher, etc., etc., etc. And it's mirrored directly in all the socio-economic... Um, well, socio-economic factors that are, are designed to see how, what designates one community from another. And each community actually is built around how we keep others excluded, how we stop progression, how we stop social mobility, how we stop um, anything beyond individual enhancement. And that's why all our cultural and arts institutions are all run by people who went to Oxford and Cambridge and independent private schools. Um, because they understand the need to control how we think through art and culture just as much as they know they need to control how we think through how we educate young people and young minds. So I suppose, I think, my answer is, well, we don't. <laughs> they do. We are colluding with it and complicit on a more or less conscious basis and they don't expect them to be part of society. They expect them, who choose that path, to be in prison and others to be perennially underachieving and silenced, I suspect. That's, that's what I think. I, I also think it's, it's, it's really interesting what Chris has, and Rumbi has said because I just want to build on well, my thoughts build essentially on what, what they've said in the sense of it, I, I think the really sad thing about exclusion and the sense that we can also exclude is, is the fact that it, it, for me it almost comes back to moral values and, and ultimately the you know we've and, and again what Mohammed and, and sorry I don't know the, the gentleman Adil's name about sort of the importance of the arts and and for me the importance of the arts is you ask questions that are greater greater than the mechanical process aspects of life and and I guess the fundamental aspect of aspect of life is you know what is love and what is compassion and you know and and whose children you know what is what does even the word child mean right and is is your child just the child that you've biologically born or are all children 
our responsibility collectively as a society. And I guess if we think about it in that way, then, you know, we, you know, there's, I've seen occasions in a state school that I went to where, you know, there's parents that for the betterment of their children are saying, look, we need to kick, kick this kid out because he's causing too much disruption in the class. And that, for me, that comes back from, to a fundamental problem in values, right? Because if you cared about your children and your society, you wouldn't just care about your kid and, and their individual sort of path it's a societal well-being aspect and I think you know how do you do that without asking the right questions of you know what whose children who, who do our children belong to and for me it's not they don't belong to us they belong to society as a whole but yeah cheers, cheers. this is Amira and Amira joined the youth theatre actually from session one really um, and well I don't need to say anything you you've got stuff to say haven't you oh yeah yeah so basically um when he like contacted me and told me to say a few words it took me actually ages i think i knew about it for like three weeks and i did it the night before so it's like all fresh so if i like mess up it's not on me it's on me yeah yeah <laughs> uh so basically my name's uh amira um i'm quite young actually i'm 16 and i was a part of the project <laughs> held here at the gap um I learned that being a part of this production really taught me a lot about myself, including like a lot around myself as well. Um, it answered a lot of questions for me that I had left unanswered from when I was in school, which wasn't long ago, but like when we started reading more into the play and we started figuring out like what it's actually about and like who the audience was kind of like getting at, it kind of really opened up my mind and it started getting me thinking because when I was in school, yeah, I, like, I just felt like I was like in that story and I was like in school again. Because when I was in school, we had a lot of like, like disciplinary actions that were given as well in, in the play. Uh, and I felt like I was one of the direct people of like them conducts as such. Uh, I felt like it just like, it really, le it really answered all my questions for me. Because it was like, in school, when you're told off, you're just given a reason, but not an answer. And then when I came here, it gave me an answer as to why you were getting like told off and put in isolation or whatever. Um, I've also recently started college. Even now, like, I still find myself getting in trouble sometimes. I don't really know why. Well, I do know why, but I don't at the same time. Um, like I'm being excluded still in school, like from, it's not much like in school, you were excluded to the point where you were sent home. Like you go in and then it's 10 o'clock and you're going home. But in college, it's more like undercover. Like you're, we're supposed to be doing a part of like study groups and staying after schools. And when you're in exams and all of that, I'm not a part of that. Like I'm kind of pushed to the side and like told to do something else because apparently I can't. It's kind of like you're pushed out because I can't like sit still in lesson or stay quiet or whatever. And I understand in exams that that's, that's not okay. But then I don't understand why people can't be like, yeah, towards you, and you have to be towards them. Like, it's, it doesn't work that way. But then, obviously, when I, when I came here, I kind of learned how to manage it a lot more, like, when being in a situation like that, what to do in it, and, like, how to deal with it instead of just making it worse. Because, like I said, experiencing many occasions of direct exclusion, coming here actually made it really easy to, like, you know, going back into an establishment and knowing what to do now instead of like because before I'd just argue with them and be like well no I don't understand why that's happened but now I understand that I know what you're doing and it's fine I'll just let it happen and then eventually come back um but I think there's a few things it taught me 
like this play specifically, is that first of all, the education system towards certain people in society is quite messed up. Like, I feel like some people get away with more than some people don't. And I feel like when you go into schools with already a label next to your name or, or a diagnosis or something, they'd automatically look at you because it's like, you've already got a history of messing up as such in their eyes. So it's like, you have to do, you have to try double in order to get the same outcome, which is quite difficult, but you know. Secondly, I learned that, because when I came in the beginning, I was really like, I said it to Aaron, I said um, that I wasn't able to do it and that like he should find somebody else to do it because I thought that, um, <laughs> I thought that, um, what did I think, hold on. Oh, I wasn't very ambitious because I thought I couldn't do it. And then I learned to do it. And then um, I learned that with ambition and perseverance, you can get it. Like in the end, like you'll achieve it. It takes, takes a bit of time, I can't lie, but you know, it's, it's worth it in the end. I hope that with this play and production and many other conversations like this going on around the country that it will at some point attract those eyes that it needs to attract so that something can be done because it's quite sad for kids like there's year sevens going in now or like year ones and they have underlying issues but no one really notices it's just kind of like no you're disruptive in class like you need to get out because that still happens to me till this day like today I was like sent out of my class for being disruptive but I wasn't doing anything. So it's like, you don't know how you're being disruptive. You just know that you're disruptive because it's all, you have to follow a book. And if you don't follow a book and you're not what they want you to be, you're not going to last there. So it's really difficult. So I hope that hopefully one day it changes, but I'll leave that up to you, innit? You guys. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been as much as as much as you can research and 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 learn. Like what what Jane said speaks to it so much. We we really need to be hearing directly from young people experiencing it themselves. Because I think as adults we can say like that's exclusion, this is exclusion. But the world rapidly changes, um, and I've I've learned so much just spending time with Amira and other people um, about what exclusion means and what it feels like to be excluded today as a young person. So Amira is the narrator in the play, uh, and uh, Mohammed here, who just takes part in everything that we do at the moment. Um, <laughs> he um, he was doing the summer school, then then he then he came and um, acted as as Leon in in the play. And I think it would be really nice if we just listened to just a couple of minutes of the play. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay, so um, we've had those two fascinating questions, and they've all come from this amazing wonder wall that the young people who took part in the scummer... Scummer school? <laughs> Freudian slip? <laughs> I'm so sorry. The summer school. <laughs> and, the, and the culture collective. Um, th these are questions... Um, that they, they've generated, and the young people who participated in the summer school generated. And, and our evening is structured around three of those, and you've had two. And I just want to share with you the one that absolutely blew my mind when I saw it. Um, and I don't know which one of you wrote it, actually, and perhaps you don't remember, but perhaps you do. But it's going to take us on to a slightly different kind of conversation now. It's forward-looking, and it's hopeful, and it's practical. And it's the sort of thing that a grown-up 
couldn't actually come up with. This is the question. What does a better world look like? And how do we build it? And why I thought this was absolutely mind-blowing, because I thought to myself, having discussed a lot of the things that we have about the education system as it is, and, and you know, hearing what Farah said on behalf of the Culture Collective, their experience of it, I was thinking, what about if this question was the basis of all education? So I want you to think about, if this was the starting point of our education system, what would our curriculum look like? What might be on our syllabuses? And we'd like you to, in groups now, think about this question. If this was the starting point for all our education, this question, what would our curriculum be like? What might it look like? What might, what might we teach? Um, and what... If we were teaching certain subjects, what would be on the syllabus of those subjects if this was what we were trying to achieve? Okay, let's go first. Go up on me. Um, so basically, we're going collectively because we decided that um, one of the aspects of a better world is people living collectively and in communities instead of being individualistic. And um, like, uh, like part of the whole community idea is also having no borders, as what Hassan said, because that creates a sense of um, separation. Yeah, separation, inclusion, and distance from other people and um, cultures, which is unnecessary because, I mean, civilization doesn't really need um, categories of people. Everyone, people are just people. So a better world shouldn't have to, a better world should just be everyone being inclusive with each other and everyone having the same access to um, different things like healthcare and education and stuff. Does anybody else want to say something? Aisha, do you want to say? Um, she mentioned, like we were talking about schools and exclusion and this idea of asking questions and who gets to ask questions. And one of the things that she mentioned was how she wants to raise her children um, and encourage them to ask questions beyond the question, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Like, I, I, I think that most of us want our children to be making the best future for themselves, and we are prepared them for that. So asking the question before, beyond the question is to put themselves on a higher level that we haven't got chance to discover that war, and also to learn a practical lesson, like um, Farah and mom say, like to learn sewing lesson, to learn how to cook for themselves, how to defend for themselves, is very essential for life skill. And I'm gonna pass on to um, another thing, building on from like the sewing lessons and stuff. So yeah, that I cannot. <laughs> building on the sewing lessons and like self defense stuff, it's like building on things that you know as well similarly to our summer school um answer where's he gone when you ask like why we chose the curriculum that we chose for the summer school it was building on things that we all were comfortable in teaching things that we already knew such as chi with her crochet maisha with her origami and stuff we're like displaying things that we know but it's in education itself, it doesn't really show those extracurricular sides. Like, if you know maths well, then 
you're going to be, like, um, put on a pedestal. But if you, like, know how to cook or, like, sew or do embroidery, you don't really know that. So Farah mentioned how, like, you know, when a person from outside of England or whatever, they come into a workplace and they have a really strong accent or they don't know English that well, they mispronounce some words or whatever, they're, like, shunned away. But it's ironic because they know more languages than we do or, like, they know more languages than the person that hired them. Like, you know English. They know three and they're trying to learn English, you know? It's, it's <laughs> like that. It's, I just find that so dumb <laughs> because it's, like, they're smarter than you in three other languages, but it's just, like, you're um, judging them because they don't know a language. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you were talking about debate club. And it kind of links on to where that table left off because we were talking about debate club and, and you were talking about the fact that you uh, are maybe a bit younger than everyone else that is in the debate club and that sometimes maybe you don't... Well, that they're, they're bigger than you, um, so maybe they've got more to say. But then your friend over here came back to you and said, well, actually, no, you, you, you have got quite a lot to say. And I think we've seen that you've got quite a lot to say, which made me think a little bit about how we put... Um, knowledge into age brackets and that um, we had a bit of a discussion on this table about actually that maybe we don't need to divide knowledge into age brackets in that way yeah. <laughs> okay um Oh, okay. So, um, in my school, during year nine, um, pretty much everyone has to like philosophy. And I don't know, I personally, I found it was pretty cool. Some of the kids didn't like it, but that was probably, that was just because like we had to write essays about it. And I don't know, pers personally, the essays were like really boring because like there were seven paragraphs. Can you believe it's seven? And we had to do, we had to do, we had to do that for homework as well, which is the worst thing. And like one time I had to do it like 20 minutes, but forget about that. Um, Oh, philosophy. I think it was pretty cool because, like, you got to learn about, like, different things from, like, different perspectives and you got to, like, challenge beliefs. Obviously, like, that doesn't mean that you should, like, stray away from them because, like, when you challenge your own belief, I guess, like, it should, it should like, strengthen your faith, if that makes sense. So, like, instead of, like, it's because, like, there are, obviously there are going to be, like, some kids who are, like, oh, no, like, a stuff for a learn or that. <laughs> but, like, what do you... But then, um, but, yeah, like, like I said, it's meant to strengthen your belief, belief rather than, like, challenge it. So um, that's one thing. I think with philosophy, it helped me, like, think, um, think about things in, like, different ways from, and, like, approach things from, like, different angles. And I think just in general, it makes you, like, more well-rounded, like, more articulate person. And it really helps, like, considering, like, um, what other people might think. And, like, I guess it also, like, brings up the thing about, like, oh, think before you speak, uh, think before you speak. And, like, what's the other cliché? I did just some other cliches, basically. So, yeah. Um, do you want to, he wants to talk. Okay. Yeah, so I was saying about how I found the self-defense classes and the first aid ones useful because, like, for example, I wanted to go boxing classes when I was a kid, but they were all so expensive. And it's like, why are you paying 30 quid a lesson to teach, like, defense skills that are actually useful in your life? Like, <laughs> we, as I was saying before, like we live in a capitalist society, and only people who can afford to have a boxing or do first aid courses, uh, they're the only ones who are going to have that knowledge. So I think having that in the curriculum, like self-defense, first aid, cooking, all that stuff, and actually having it throughout education, I think that would help. Just people being more equipped for life, in it. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. I suppose there'd be 
There'd be less exclusion as a consequence because, well, one of the main things we thought of was having sorted to different abilities rather than, no, not being sorted by abilities, by methods of learning. So, say, some people like to study in quiet, some people like to be, like, in a stimulating environment or someone likes to, like, have a visual lesson, some people like to read. So, because you're in you'd be in similar groups of like-minded ways of learning, you'd feel less excluded as a consequence of it, which would kind of, rather than having a one-size-fits-all approach, and some people doesn't, don't work in the way that they're being taught, because you'd be in with like-minded people, like-minded learners, then you wouldn't have that exclusion, would be one good consequence. And someone else. I was talking about how it might be interesting to have a joy class, like a joy class, joy class. <laughs> joy <being> like, <laughs> like a class where you get to fully experience joy, whether it's jumping up and down, whether it's swings, whether it's a ball pit or whatever, uh, it's dancing, anything sensory that you require to feel joy. Because I was talking about the impact, in my opinion, I think the two most important or most powerful emotions slash states of being are joy and rest. Yeah. I think rest itself recuperates you, right? The only reason why we have a two-day weekend is because we've got unions. If the world and society and capitalism wanted it to be, we'd work every single day, right? But it's the rest that requires us to do the things that we enjoy, to allow us to have leisure, to uh, be parts of a community, to eat and gather together. And if we had more joy and if we had more rest, we'd have more power, right? Because all the people that are in positions of power have more joy and have more rest. You have CEOs who work one, two days a week, spend three months traveling, but they get paid more even though they're doing less work. And because they're doing less work, it allows them for greater capacities of rest and joy. So if everyone was allowed to have that amount of rest, they could think about what could I do to change the world. They'd have the time to make those changes. And that would, I think, topple the government, but like would be a revolutionary act to allow you to think, who can I be? How can I help others? Who can I be around? Whereas now, you work five days a week, Saturday comes, you're like, oh, finally I get to sleep. Sunday comes, okay, I get to do my chores. I wash up, I clean everything. Maybe I like cook a nice meal, you know, Monday comes again. So there's no time there for you to exist as a person, to ask yourself those questions, to connect with other people. So if we fully allowed ourselves to have these like, lessons and the curriculum that we think would be best for the world, we'd have better capacity to help those that are struggling with their mental health, right? We'd have better capacity to help those that struggle with food or within class struggles and stuff because we could help. A lot of my friends struggle a lot of my white friends struggle with this idea that people of color don't care about the environment they do care about the environment they just don't have the time to do anything or much about it if you're working class you have to go to work every single day you can't be going to a protest right if you're a person of color you can't be visibly going to a protest because that's dangerous for you you know it's not that they don't care they're the most affected most of the time right it's just they can't do anything about it Whereas if you have the capacity to aid others, you can help holistically an entire community. So I think that's the impact we could have. Yeah. <laughs>
saying, because of what education is, I just had to leave it. But if I was, if I was this kind of teacher, oh, I would really well consider going back into yeah. teaching. Oh, yeah. Um, because I think what, what you're saying is that, or what, or what we're what looking at is, at the moment, we, we teach kids what we have learned. We teach them about our history, the mistakes that we've made, and you've got to be better, but don't teach them how to do that. And we don't encourage them to look forward and to be active in their, in their futures. And if you might, I just think that basing education on this, you get generations and generations and generations of young people who are constantly building the future and making it better, and what a difference that would make. Right, okay. Um, thank you, that's, that's the... That's the finale. Uh, perfect timing. <laughs> Some other young people doing their thing outside as well.